0: So Holy Spirit, ask that you would open that passage up to us and help us to live our lives according to it. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good to have all of you here. Those of you who are watching on the podcast, Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Advent, First Sunday of Advent. Um, I want to start with a question that I think should resonate during the holiday season. Do you ever feel pressure from friends or family to do things that maybe you don't want to do? Or that maybe don't need to be done at all? So, for instance, like maybe have a clean house for guests. My wife and I decided years ago that it makes the pastor more approachable if our house is messy, so it is. And that's just one of the many ways that we serve you. We are sacrificing for you. Or maybe as your family gets together with all their baggage and carry-ons, you start to feel the pressure to live up to your parents' or your siblings' expectations. Or maybe it's pressure, kind of social pressure you feel to be or do or accomplish certain things. Or maybe it's just pressure you put on yourself. Or maybe it's the pressure of the season to find the right gifts for everyone and all of that. I've told you before, I struggle with this with my my wife. She's very practical. She doesn't like romantic gifts. If I buy her flowers, she says, don't waste the money and all of that. Now, I know she loves me, and she's very grateful for anything I give her. She's just very practical. It's actually one of the things I kind of love about her. I'll sometimes write her a note about all the reasons I love her. One time she read it and said, oh, that's nice, and then right in front of me dropped it into the recycle. (laughs) How can I melt her cold, cold heart? So this Christmas, you know what? one of the things she's asked for? Potholders. Okay, I kid you not, I'm an English major. I can write poetry, potholders, waste of my talents. But this is also one of the things I love the most about her. She's so practical, and it's also so freeing, right? Like, I don't have to knock myself out trying to give her gifts that she doesn't really want. I just get the stupid potholders, and she's happy, plus Scotchmallow. She loves them, right? It's easy. So many men in this room right now envy me, right? You're like, how can I get that going in my family? This Advent, we're doing a sermon series called Gifted, about the different kinds of gifts we face in life and the implications of them. So for instance, the gift you wanted and got, but then it didn't satisfy. Or maybe the gift you wanna give back. Today, I wanna talk about the gift that you think you have to give, but maybe you don't. Like flowers to my wife, for instance. Or that thing you feel pressure to do from friends or family or some volunteer organization or whatever it is that thing you feel pressure to do, but maybe God, maybe God isn't asking you to do it. And instead, God wants to give you a gift of joy and adventure that comes from being in relationship with him. And that's what King David discovers in the story that we just read, that Rich just read, where he's finally defeated all the enemies that were attacking Israel. And so he says, he decides to build God a temple. And in a play on words, God says, no, don't build me a house. Instead, the Lord will build a house for you, meaning a dynasty. See, David is trying to do something he thinks he has to do. But God says, no, I want to give you a gift instead. What is that thing you think you have to do? And this is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. And ultimately, it points to Jesus, which we'll get to. And without it, actually, we can't fully understand what Jesus is all about. Because the basic premise of Christianity is we don't earn our salvation. Jesus does it for us on the cross by paying the price for our sins. It's a free gift. But even deeper than that, when we experience relationship with Jesus, it sets us free from so many expectations. So what do you feel pressured to do that maybe God is not asking you to do? God wants to give you the gift of freedom. In a couple of ways. And the first is freedom from false expectations. You know, a lot of times the pressure we feel to do or be certain things, it's not from God. It comes from our own ego or culture or guilt. You can see guilt here in David, where he says, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of the Lord is under a tent. He feels guilty that he built himself a big old palace, didn't even think about God. But God isn't asking him to atone for that. Besides, guilt is a lousy reason to do anything, right? It's a terrible motivator, terrible reason, for instance, to give in to someone's passive-aggressive manipulations. Does that ever happen during the holidays? In families, passive-aggressive manipulations, you know how it goes. Things like, oh, spending Christmas with your spouse's parents this year. Oh, no, that's fine, your father and I will just eat a can of tuna and watch Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) No, we're used to being ignored by our children, it's fine. How many passive-aggressive people does it take to change a light bulb? oh, never mind, I'll just sit here in the dark. (laughs) But I think the big motivator for David here is actually cultural pressure. Because back then, every pagan culture built temples to their gods. You know why? To keep the gods from blasting them, being mad. But God says, I'm different than that. This pressure you feel to build a temple, it's cultural, it's not coming from me. We feel so much cultural pressure, don't we? To have a certain kind of job, make a certain amount of money, live in a certain kind of house, have a certain level of achievement, look a certain way, all kinds of cultural pressures. There was a national essay contest a while back for middle schoolers, and the winner was a 14-year-old boy. This is what he wrote. What I really want that money can't buy is unconditional love. To know that no matter what grades I get, I'll be loved. My parents love me, and they buy me lots of things, and they want me to do well at school so that I can have a good life. But what tells me they love me the most is when they just listen to me. Maybe go for a walk or maybe a bike ride along with a lecture talk about money. Not sure about that last one. Not sure why he wants that, but I do some things with my mom, but my dad works and sleeps. I know we need money, but I wish he would do more things with me. America would be a happier country if parents would just spend time with their kids. Yeesh. His parents are feeling so much cultural pressure. To give him certain experiences make sure he gets good grades so he can get into that certain school and have a good life and all of that so much pressure all of those things are necessary but what he really wants is so much simpler just relationship which is our deepest longing which jesus ultimately speaks to and we'll get to that in a minute i mean his essay could be my whole sermon right there right mean he just says it all however the cultural expectation is for a few more minutes so i'm going to keep going Some of you are really disappointed right now. You're like, sweet, we're going to brunch early. Second freedom God wants to give you is the freedom to let God be God in your life. God says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I have moved from one tent site to another. Did I ever say, why have you not built me a house? In other words, stop trying to put me in your boxes. And what God's referring to is the Ark of the Covenant, which, was con- which contained the Ten Commandments and was the sign of his presence. And when the Israelite army moved, the Ark of the Covenant moved, showing that God is always on the move, doing a new thing. And we can't put him in a box by putting him in a temple or religious ritual or whatever. And a lot of times, our own plans or our frantic efforts to get certain things done actually kind of box God in. But here's the thing. What God can do is so much bigger than what we can imagine. And if he does things our way, which we often want him to do, you know what we're going to get? Our-sized results. But if we let him do things his way, we're going to get God-sized results. Which brings me to the third freedom God wants to give you, and that is to know that the need is not always the call. Even Jesus didn't respond to every need that he saw. And when it comes to us, sometimes we're not the right person to meet certain needs. The Israelites eventually did build a temple, but David was a lousy person to do that. He was a warrior. He had too much blood on his hands. So God says, this need, David, is not your call. This is going to be for your son Solomon to build. Two weeks ago when we did the anonymous prayer card exchange, if if you were here, when I read the request I picked out of the basket, my first instinct, everything in me wanted to help that person, right? But I was so frustrated because I didn't know their name. I'm sitting there reading it going, whose stupid idea was this to make it anonymous? That would be mine, right? Now all I can do is pray. What good is that going to do? Oh, wait, maybe that's part of the point. Here is a truth that can set you free. You are not anyone's savior. Jesus is, which means we don't have to meet every need. We may not even be the right person to meet certain needs. Now, that said, sometimes we are the right person to meet a certain need, and sometimes we really do need to help. So how do you know the difference? Well, the only way to know the difference is prayer and the counsel of others, which is what David does in this story. He tells his plans to Nathan, and Nathan does what any religious leader would do when someone wants to give a bunch of money to a church building project. Nathan says, whatever you have in mind, do it. a very pastoral thing to say. But that night, God says to Nathan, "Uh uh-uh, tell David he doesn't have to. Now, we don't know how God said that, but Nathan was a man of prayer, so maybe he got some thoughts that were not his thoughts that came from God. Prayer and the counsel of others helped David separate the need from the call. We put burdens on ourselves, and we make a mess of things when we try to fix something God ain't asking us to fix. Just let me do a quick poll. Anyone here, how many of you have made something worse by trying to fix it? Ever happened to you? Oh, come on, I'm not alone, okay, there you go. At least five of you, and the rest are lying. (laughs) So here's a question, who's your Nathan? Who can help you discern when when to respond and when not to respond? woman who works at Microsoft emailed me telling me that she had this employee who was not performing very well and his attitude was just wrecking the team. And she was really worried you know, about, how, you know, about, this, about what it was doing to the team as well as what her boss was going to think of her if she couldn't deal with it. And the bo- her boss really wanted her to create a very aggressive performance plan, which she did. Then the Sunday before she was going to give it to this employee, she had not planned to come to church, but about 5.30 she just got this thought, i got to go to the 6 o'clock service at Bell Press. At that exact same moment, her husband said, you know what, I think we should go to church. So she took that as a sign, and she came, and during the sermon, her mind started to wander, which happens, I've been told, (laughs) and she started to think, have I, that's fine, the Holy Spirit takes you to places, and she thought, have I prayed for this guy? And she thought, no. So she started praying for him, and the conversation she planned to have with him the next day, and she just sort of felt God say, wait on that performance plan. So she postponed the conversation, even though her boss wanted her to act ASAP. The next day she was praying again, felt the same thing, wait. Well, the third day was their regular meeting anyway, so this employee came in and he said, you know what I've been thinking? I'm not doing my job very well, and my attitude is really bad. I think I need to do something more suited to my skills, so here's my resignation. And then he said, and oh, by the way, thank you for giving me the time to figure it out on my own at which point she put the performance plan in her desk that she was about to give him. And she was so grateful that she didn't have to get into some big old battle that would have poisoned the whole office, right? she was just very grateful. Now, I can imagine the opposite scenario. I can imagine where God would say to act and to act immediately. But the point is, through prayer, she discerned that need was not her call, discerned the difference between the expectations of her culture, her ego, her boss, and what Jesus was actually saying. And she let Jesus be free rather than try to tell him what to do, and his solution was better. But more than that, she experienced Jesus speaking to her relationship with him. And in the security of that relationship, she felt free from so many pressures. So here's a question, the answer to which will help give you the freedom God wants to give you this Christmas. What things is he truly asking you to do? Go do them. And what things is he not asking you to do? Well, then, maybe you don't have to do them. God wants to give you the gift of freedom from false expectations, to let, him be, to let God be God in your life, freedom to know the need isn't always the call, and all of those freedoms come from one central freedom, and that is the freedom of knowing how much he loves you. God says to David, I took you from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. This is a verse that makes Christianity so different than every other religion. Because in every other religion, you got to do something to get God to love you, not be mad at you, build a temple, sacrifice this, obey a bunch of rules. Here God says, you don't have to earn my love. Can't you see, David, I am with you, and I want to bless you, so let me. In fact, God here is almost giddy at the chance to give to David. The bible says that god loves a a cheerful giver the actual greek is god loves a hilarious giver you know why because god himself is a hilarious giver he loves to give that's what christmas is about someone sent me a story of several men who were talking in the locker room of a health club when a cell phone laying on the bench went off and the guy next to it picked it up and the woman on the other end said honey it's me i i just saw a dress it's four hundred dollars but i just love to have it so i think i'm going to get it and he said that's fine go ahead And then she said, and you know that car we've been looking at? I know it's $60,000, but it's perfect. I'd like to stop by today and buy it. And he said, that's great, but for that price, man, I want all the bells and whistles. And then he hung up and held the cell phone up and said, anyone know whose cell phone this is? It's fun to give, especially other people's stuff, right? God just loves to give and give and give. And so many of us, so many of you are working hard to earn somebody's approval. The dad who, when you did great in the game, but you missed one play, he points out the play you missed. Or the peers who never seem to accept you, or the boss, and on and on. But God wants to give you a gift that is unearned, relationship with him. And when we get how much he loves us unconditionally, all that pressure to produce, achieve, do this, do that, it starts to fade. And what this passage shows is that God longs to be with us. At the time this passage was written, Israel is still very poor. And part of what God is saying is, don't build me a temple. I want to be where my people are at. If they're poor, I'm poor. If they don't have houses, I don't have a house. It's the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, so much so that he comes himself in the person of Jesus. That's what we celebrate this season. God comes himself in the person of Jesus who is born to two poor peasants in a stable, not a house, just to be with us. And in fact, the New Testament says there's no need for a temple anymore. You know why? Because we are God's temple. And if we know Jesus, he lives inside of us. And he will never take his love away from us, no matter what we do, and no matter what our circumstances are. God says to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. I will be his father. He will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. That... That extends to us as well. This is the promise we have through Jesus. I will set him over my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Now this text is, the, is one of the sources of Jews' hopes for a Messiah, a ruler from the line of David who would establish God's peace and justice. What it ultimately points to is obviously Jesus, who is a descendant of David, born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And God uses the word forever twice to emphasize that there's, he's always with us. That's what Jesus coming to us means. I want to be with you, Emmanuel. And there's nothing we can do to drive him away, and there's nothing in our circumstances that mean he has abandoned us. In fact, this passage from Chronicles was written centuries after David, but before Jesus. And the author is drawing on earlier historical sources to write this history of Israel, like we might do today about George Washington, use other histories to write a new history. And his point is, God is still with us, even though times are hard. Because when this passage was written, Jerusalem had been conquered by the Babylonians, burned to the ground, Jews taken into captivity for 70 years, and when they returned, David's descendants are no longer king. There's no king at all. And in fact, they've slipped into poverty and obscurity. And so the question is, is God still with us? And maybe you ask that. God, where are you? Have you abandoned us? Have you abandoned me? But they kept track of David's descendants who got poorer and poorer for 500 years until a very poor descendant named Mary gave birth to Jesus in a stable, showing that God's promises are real and true and he never forgets them. And what allowed them to get through those 500 years was relationship with God. His presence gives us peace and security. And what David discovers in this passage is that we don't have to earn that. It is a free gift. And when we get that, the pressure to produce And do this, and do that, and all the things, it just starts to fade away. The first couple talks I gave as a college pastor, brand new job, I wanted to do well. First couple talks I gave as a college pastor, total disasters, right? Like they made no sense. It was just, you know, and I felt like a failure because I was actually. And you know, everything in me, I wanted to do a good job for God. I wanted to help people. You know, that was a part of my motivation. Now, ego, ego was not another part of my motivation. No, no, that didn't play into it at all. And, and, and cultural pressure to succeed at <laughs> Stanford, that doesn't happen. No, 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 it was purely, no, my motives were completely mixed. And there was this one particularly awful talk. Students were falling asleep. It made absolutely no sense at all. The only good thing was there was a student there, not a Christian, but his brother had forced him to come. He said afterwards, he said, I'd like to come back. That speaker guy made no sense at all, but he sure had courage to stand up and give that talk. Well, a few weeks into this disaster, a graduate student who I did not know came up to me and he said, I wrote a song for you, and I'd like to play it for you right now. This is in the, right, right after our college group meeting. He goes, I'd like to play the song for you right now. Okay, creepy stalker dude, go, go ahead, right? And it was called Faithfulness, about how all God asks is that we faithfully do what he asks us to do, and then win or lose, succeed or fail. He loves us, and he says, well done. He just asked for faithfulness. And as he sang this song for me, which was so awkward, there's people all around, it was just totally weird. But even still, I heard God say, Scott, I'm not asking you to be successful. That's you. That's your culture. I'm asking you to be faithful to what I've asked you to do. And by the way, Scott, I love you. And I'm proud of the way you're doing what I've asked you to do, so stop doing what I didn't ask you to do. I almost started to cry. But that would have made it even more awkward, so I didn't. (laughs) And later, he and his wife recorded a CD, and that song was on it. And to this day, sometimes, when I feel discouraged, I will still sometimes listen to it, because it reminds me of what God is asking of me and what's just false expectations. And creepy stalker dude... He and his wife became my wife and my best friends in California. They helped us in our college ministry. We had great community with them. Whenever we go back, we always see them pick right up where we left off. I was trying to give God a gift. But I was doing a lot of things that God was not asking me to do, responding to a lot of false expectations. But God, through my friend, gave me a gift. He was my Nathan and helped me feel just a little bit more loved by God, which set me just a little more free. It wasn't all over, but just a little more free from all those false expectations and the pressures to perform. So what are you doing that God ain't asking you to do? And maybe it doesn't need to be done at all, at least by you. Here's your homework this Christmas, all right? Here's your homework. I am inviting you. Yea, verily, as your pastor, I am commanding you to go out there and not do something. Okay? That's your command. That's That's your homework for this holiday season. Go out there and don't do something. Spend some time in prayer, in the counsel with others, to figure out what things God is asking you to do and what is just false expectations. Ask him, Lord, show me. What are you asking of me and what aren't you? And then don't do one of those false expectations. Maybe that means having a respectful conversation with someone about why you can't do what they're expecting you to do. Not confrontational, but just saying, you know what, I can't do that, but I love you, I'll show that in other ways. Maybe it's something simpler, not cleaning the house, not not saying yes to one invitation or something, and then pray this prayer. God, show me the gift you're trying to give me, because he is. Show me the gift you're trying to give me so that you don't miss it. And maybe it's just feeling a little less pressure this Christmas. Or maybe it's having more time for friends and for family. Or or maybe it's just some moment where you realize how much God loves you through a line from a song or something someone says or a thought that's not your thought. Where you hear your father say, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, and I am very pleased with you. So be still and know that I am with you. Come unto me with all your labors and your heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So Jesus, thank you so much for this gift you give us of your presence that sets us free from expectations, and ask, Lord, that you help us sift out what you're asking of us and what you're not, and then, Lord, for every person in this room, help us to not do something and experience just a little more freedom. From all those expectations we labor under. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.